the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good afternoon, everybody. Sorry about the bye week, but uh, it happens sometimes. I think we've got about four or five of them this year. So uh, I hope you enjoyed your week, your Valentine's weekend. And let's start off with a couple of things to make us thinking positive. Age wrinkles the body. Quitting wrinkles the soul. I think that's uh, uh, General MacArthur, by the way. The whole problem with the world today is that the fools and the fanatics are certain of themselves and the wise people are full of doubt i'm prepared to meet my maker whether my maker is prepared for the greater deal of meeting me is another matter winston churchill one of my heroes uh anyway so uh, once again we we direct you to whk 1420 uh the web page and uh if you'd like to get any of the materials we talk about on this show you know we, we constantly talk about our uh prime income list and our dividend growth portfolio, our top ideas. Uh, but we do have uh, several things I'm going to talk about in a second that you can get. So you go to WHK 1420, go to local podcast down and um, uh, it goes directly, you know, when you see Tim Hayes, it goes directly to my webpage basically. So uh, there's a lot of stuff on there. You know, Bob Dickey's daily technical analysis is on there. Uh, there's all sorts of good stuff on there. So uh, you might want to look it over a couple newsletters weekly, one monthly. In the meantime, um, look, I don't know if you know what a credit access line is, but the Savvy Investor's Credit Workbook is something I think you, you should take a look at. Um, credit access lines are important. And look, I have a, a customer who is selling one house and buying the other. So instead of having to sell stocks to take a capital gain or a capital loss, uh, he, he, he borrowed so in between the time he's selling the old house, which is not selling as fast as he'd like it to, and he bought the, the house of his dreams, he's got, he's got this cushion. And it, he's doing it off his stock portfolio, so it's not the end of the world. Uh, he doesn't, it's, you know, it's, it's half the cost of margin, and it's a great idea. So there's something you can do. Also, the SECURE Act. If you don't know the changes, we have a piece on that. I think you should be reading about that. Our Global Income Best Ideas. Our global insight, you know, where our investment stands for the for 2020. All right. So there's all available. WHK 1420, local podcast down at Tim Hayes. Go directly to my webpage. We also have the dividend growth portfolio, the prime income list, our top ideas, our ADRs are starting to look interesting, by the way. Uh, in North America, pickup trucks account for one of every six vehicles sold in the U.S., perhaps most important, pickups account for about 80 percent of the North American auto industry profits. Today, pickup trucks are an 80 billion market segment. Businesses may use them on construction sites for hauling uh, loads, but 75% of the truck owners drive off-road or tow something once per year or less. So they just buy them to buy them. All right. In 1950s, about one-fifth of the American population moved each year. Just 9.8% of Americans moved in the year ending in March, according to the newly released data. That was the smallest share since the Census Bureau started tracking it in 1947, and the first time it has fallen uh, below 10%. How's that, huh? More than 80,000 professionals have been denied the promised relief from their student loan forgiveness program through bureaucratic snafus. Uh, so confusion over a lot. There's a lot of complex rules in this thing, and uh, just in some cases, just poor ma management. Uh, the first deadline came and went in 2017, and fewer than 1% of the 28,000 applicants received anything. Under the 2018 Temporary Expanded Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program, 656 people have had their loans forgiven for a total of $27 million. 
less than 4% of the money that the Congress allowed. So that was a great bill. You know, they, they debated that for months, years in the in the House and the Senate, and uh, the Republicans were against it, and the, the Democrats passed it, and it's done nothing. Well, we can always, uh, you know, just being a Republican uh, that I am, uh, Democrats have really kept their promises. So, you know, you look back at the election of Donald Trump, and before before he said, I do, um, <laughs> there was three three uh, senators, uh, Maxine Waters is one of them, uh, she's a congresswoman, I'm sorry, um, that, that said they wanted to impeach Trump. So they have. <laughs> so they kept their promise. All right, so there's seven tax deductions that disappeared in 2019. They are... Mortgage interest above seven hundred fifty thousand. Personal exemptions, uh, I think it's uh, they're taxable up to four thousand bucks. Alimony deduction, moving expenses, miscellaneous uh, uh, itemized deductions. Uh, there's little things, but they you know investment fees, tax preparation, all that good stuff. Casualty and theft losses, and unrestricted home equity loan interest. You have to prove that you're really doing something to your house now. So. You know, I read an interesting article, and uh, look, generating outperformance in equities is difficult because it necessitates outsmarting the crowd. You want to be as far from the maddening crowd as possible. Uh, and if you attempt to price stocks efficiently, you got to do that, okay? So uh, it's interesting. There's been a continuing decline in equity research coverage, which may benefit those firms who do deep research teams uh, and astute investors who do homework, all right? Uh, the average number of sell-side average uh, analysts covering large-cap stocks is down 11% since 2015. Uh, and behind the reduced analyst, uh, analyst coverage at the sell-side brokerage firm is a drive to lower expenses, which we uh, believe will continue. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's good for the people that, you know, they don't understand that paying for research sometimes makes sense. Um you know, and and by the way, I think there'll become a time when the the S and P five hundred funds are going to get killed. Uh, I've been saying that for a while, and uh, they they get beat up a little bit. But other drivers of shrinking uh, analyst ranks are fundamentals and regulation. Fundamentally, commissions have been shrinking because of improved technology and greater competition in trading systems. So more people are doing their own stuff. But uh, there is, uh, you know, just so you know, it's two percent to the trading is the average investor. 2% of the, the, the people out there are doing their own investing uh, daily. Now, investing long-term, it's about 7%. Uh, so they're still, they're still cutting costs. And I think, you know, uh, look, people complain about it all the time, but uh, do you want to go to the cheapest doctor? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> and what's the next best thing to your health? It's your money. You know, the, the economy uh, is kind of in a resilient scenario, and, and investors around the world are increasingly thinking of the U.S. as a safe haven. Um, not just the Treasury market, but actually, you know, the overall economy. And we've had some some easing concerns of, of about the uh, coronavirus, although it picked up again on Friday. Uh, so people think the domestic economy is kind of immune from it. And this sentiment, whether it's fully warranted or not, is is unlikely to dissipate anytime soon, my humble opinion. So I believe that uh, this should help the U.S. equity market deliver uh, a little bit. And I think, uh, you know, our forecast for GDP growth is about 2% for the year. Um, nonetheless, uh, the phase one trade deal with China, I, I think the confidence in the economy, the, especially from CEOs, is important too. So uh, Lori Calcivina uh, reiterated her expectations that 2020 will be a year of moderation, turbulence, and transition in the U.S. equity market. She's just keeping a target at 34.60 on the S&P. That's only 70 points away, by the way. And she uh, sees some clear signs of overvaluation and crowding. Uh, but she's been talking about that for some time now, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. And look, I think there's 2% uh, persistent trends offering healthy economic and uh, earnings growth. And they are the rise of the emerging market consumer, number one, and number two, uh, widespread adoption of new technologies and automation, uh, you know, whether it's energy sources or agriculture. Okay, It's in all across them. And we have persistently falling interest rates. And uh, normally after a financial crisis, uh, interest rates stay low for a lot longer than people anticipate. So, uh, look, I think you get combined government and private debt in the U.S. is, is 319% of GDP at the end of uh, 2018. So, um, and, and that, furthermore, that 
understates the magnitude of the public's obligations, such as, you know, like uh, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, and employee pensions. So I don't think uh, interest rates are going up anytime soon. And if they do go up, uh, it could be it could be a problem. So, look, um, eh, I'll just leave that alone. Uh, fixed income. One thing I want everybody to know is that if you look at high yield, we're looking at record low coupons on high yield. So people are, you know, and high yields, anything uh, double B rated or below. And that that is pretty much, uh, I mean, you're looking at uh, 5%, 6%, and that, that's a low number uh, as compared to the risk involved. So, uh, so you know, some of these names are, are pretty interesting. Uh, somebody asked me about gold. You know, I've been talking about shining up your, your gold ideas. Um, look, I, I think uh, gold and silver bullion and the gold bull equities uh, could could really do well in 2019. I also think uh, U.S. yields are going to plummet near zero. I think that's my opinion. I, I think they're headed down there. Uh, and, I, I you know, if I were looking at uh, some things to watch, I'd look for gold going above 1600 which I think is pretty close to. Uh, I think that gold stocks are going to continue to rally with the bullion. I think you'll see some U.S. dollar weakness. I think, you know, the real yields in the U.S. Uh, uh, will be down lower. I think uh, there'll be a mean revision in volatility. We have no volatility right at the moment. The cost of credit default insurance will go up. Uh, there's a lot of debt out there, folks, a lot of debt out there with people who shouldn't have it. Uh, nominal yields range bound at the lower end. Uh the global liquidity will be out there for some time to come. You know, the gold equity to gold bullion ratio picked up drastically just recently. I think it stays like that. And I think, you know, look, we're going to have some geopolitical risk. And I think there'll be a lot of, uh, you know, uh, a problem. And, uh, you know, this uh, coronavirus isn't going away anytime soon, I don't think, either. Um You know, I talked about the stock timing versus uh um, buying the best performing sector. And I looked this over and it's amazing, you know, buy and hold strategy for the S and P 500 over. Uh, so let's say we'll go back to 1993 has provided you with an 8.76% return. If you, if you time the market perfectly, which uh, on a difficulty basis is the number one difficulty thing, you'd average a 25% return. If you bought the best performing sectors, the top five, You'd average 29%. Now, the question is, can you do that? And uh, that's a lot easier than timing the market. That's why, you know, everybody says, do you want to get out of everything completely? And I said, no. So, uh, you know, like right now, it's the semiconductor index, the waste index, the computer index, the software index, and the gaming indexes that are all the best. So, um, uh, also, if you look at another way of looking at things in earnings, I talked about earnings last week. And, you know, if you use the technicals and relative strength, uh, you have three out of five uh, on the Dorsey Wright system. Uh, they have met or exceeded their earnings 82% of the time. Stay tuned. Be right back. Okay, we're back. If you just tuned in, uh, this is Smart Investor Show, obviously, and my, I'm Tim Hayes. And if you'd like to sit down and have a cup of coffee, talk about your portfolio, go to WHK1420, go to local podcast down to Tim Hayes, and uh, it goes directly to my webpage. And so there, there's contact me, email me, even call me. <laughs> I talked to like six people last week, and I, I had a couple conversations that were really, uh, I considered them lively, uh, very intriguing, uh, smart people out there. Um, uh, anyway, uh, if you'd like... Uh, you, you can call me, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. That is a local number. It's just an 800 number for all those people who are out in the hinterlands. Um, and, you know, uh, sit down and, and review things. Uh, it's, it's a good time, too, I think, because, uh, well, I'm going to talk about that in a minute. You know, uh, we, I've been talking about this um, environmental, social, and governance portfolios. And I just want you to know that we have launched our own products. We have a, a portfolio of stocks that we can go with. Uh, we can also we also have an ETF portfolio. And uh, look, 
I think if you look at this, um, you know, some examples of this, like for environmental issues, they're talking about climate change and carbon emissions, air and water pollution, biodiversity, deforestation, energy efficiency, waste management, water scarcity. On the social issues, customer satisfaction, data protection, gender and diversity, employee engagement, community relations, human rights, labor uh, standards. On the government issues, they're looking for board composition, audit committee structure, uh, bribery and corruption, executive compensation, lobbying, political contributions, and whistleblower schemes. So, uh, But I think you know we found a way to identify these stocks, um, which I think are really interesting. It's kind of what I think is really, really interesting is we identified some, and so did Dorsey Wright, and they almost fit the bill. I mean, it was amazing how close they were. Uh, uh, the top 30 stocks were the top 30. I mean, 26 of them were in both lists. So uh, what we can do is if we add the fundamental research with the technical research, I think things could get really, really interesting uh, on this. Uh, you know, And by the way, social responsibility it's fairly overbought right now, along with everything else, by the way, but um, has has moved up the list pretty drastically. So this is not going away anytime soon, just for everybody's knowledge. And uh, it might be, you know, I mean, if you if you backdate a model, um, things, you know, those stocks have done extremely well, extremely well versus the indexes. So I'll just say that. Uh, so if you'd like any information on our uh, environmental, social and governance portfolios, once again, go to WHK1420, uh, go down to local podcast at Tim Hayes, contact me, email me. But it's really kind of interesting using uh, the ESG portfolio with relative strength. It, it really makes a lot of sense. Uh, so I'll just leave it at that. Um, some, you know, a lot of people have been asking me, uh, when are international stocks going to get up and go? And uh We've had a couple false starts, and uh, although they've held up fairly well, they haven't made any great moves. I think they were up 10 12% last year overall. But look, here's the problem. The U.S. is now 50% of all the market capitalization out there, and they're only 25% of the business. All right, let me say that again. The U.S. is 50% of the total market capitalization of the world, and they're only 25% of the business. Now, also, if you look uh, at U.S. versus uh, econ- uh, international equity weights, the weight on international is 15.2%. The weight on uh, domestic equities are 39.9%. So it's kind of an interesting scenario. And I think, um, look, um, ADR valuations favor foreign stocks over U.S. stocks right now. The question is, what's going to turn the tide? And I think it's going to be the dollar. So you got to watch the dollar kind of carefully. But, uh, you know, this outperformance has led to U.S. equity valuation to the most expensive uh, among the nine leading developed countries. So that's another reason that, you know, people like it to buy value. Um, each geographic region, I think, is experiencing its own mixed bag of strengths and problems. With the U.S. experiencing high consumer confidence uh, and expected acceleration in growth, uh, at least in earnings anyway, and the CEO confidence is there, capital uh, equipment spending has been sluggish. All right. So overseas, business business sentiment index has improved lately from uh, low levels. China's moved to pressure more funds in domestic stocks. I think they're having all sorts of problems. I, I think the debt that they have uh, is going to start to be a problem for them. Uh, conditions in the U.S. aren't perfect, and valuation is a challenge, uh, but there's little evidence so far that the foreign markets are in a position to you know, grab the confidence of the investor. So we'll see what happens. But there are some interesting stocks out there. All right? so, now, the travel stocks have been under pressure, and uh, I think they're going to remain that way for some time. Uh, and uh, you know, it can be airlines. It can be cruise ships. I mean, they, just, they beat them up pretty bad. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens, uh, you know, because this this Friday, you know, they they had some information on the coronavirus, which was um, well, th- this whole week, you know, has been, uh, you know, from the week, the Friday before President's Day all the way through. They've been having more and more stuff on the coronavirus. So it'll be interesting to see how these stocks react if and when they do find a uh, uh, a 
cure a problem. I know there's several stocks out there that have vaccines. One's, you know, has done some really good work, and, and we it's, it's one of our best picks for the year. So uh, it'll be interesting to see just how, you know, there's a lot of people short these uh, big biotech stocks. And, uh, you know, look, Biogen IDEC was at 230 when we recommended it, and I think it's, uh, you know, it had two gap ups. You know, one was a $60 gap, one was a $50 gap. And now it's, you know, in the three three forty, three fifty area, three eighty, I can't remember exactly. But uh so these things can have big, big moves because of the number of shorts involved. Uh, you know, our our other big pick in the small cap area uh was a ten dollar stock that went to fifty seven in, in like a month. Okay. So uh if the, they do find the 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 cure or the a vaccine for corona, I think there's some be some big moves there. Now I noticed aerospace and defense ETFs, uh I was looking at those and I was looking at the ETFs in, in, in particular, and I noticed there's several of them that look pretty good. Um, and, and, you know, I, I looked at uh, a couple that weren't so hot. And uh, then I looked at a couple of the small stocks within them. And, man, there's some really good looking. Uh, the, the smaller stocks look actually better than the larger stocks. I've got two that, you know, uh, that are in drone area that look really, really good. So, It'll be interesting to see how they, they work out. But uh, I think all the defense ETFs look good, even with Boeing in them. Remember that. You know, Boeing's in all these things. And Boeing's been a problem for about a year now. So the rest of the stocks have been doing quite uh, quite well. Now, one of the things I have seen uh, is, you know, we had this crack and bounce in the High Flyers Club. Okay? So we got killed, knocked down 1,000 points, and we came back up a uh, almost another thousand points. And uh, so, you know, we had kind of a trail of uh, optimism and then a drive-by shooting uh, caused by the coronavirus virus. And it was a big buying opportunity on the back of the Fed and the Chinese liquidity injections. Um, and, and small small caps uh, tried to follow the indexes to higher ground, but so far have failed uh, to reclaim the old highs. Uh, matter of fact, you know, uh, they, they are still the cheapest asset class and uh, they haven't gone anywhere, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. I have seen some uh, good work in in, in uh, some of the sentiment. Um, the VIX has had no volatility at all. I mean, the the VIX I think uh, is at overbought levels. That's when so they're buying it as it as it goes down. Okay, when they sell it, it goes up, and that's the fear index. So there's not a lot of fear out there. Um, I'm seeing a couple climatic indicators that are very short term uh, that indicate to me that you got to be a little bit careful. Like the put to call ratio got really, really, really up above uh, uh, the uh, or got to the 75 level, which is usually uh, look out below. Um, and then the other thing is the National Association of Individual Investors poll. Uh, people have got a little bit, a lot more bear, uh, bullish. I'm sorry. But the active investment managers poll, the National Association of Actors Investors. Um, you know, they usually uh, get it right a lot. There's usually the first ones. And I noticed uh, they, they've they kind of peaked and headed south. So, you know, they did it right in both uh, eight, January of 2018 and then again in October of 2019, uh, of 18. I'm sorry. Uh, so uh, you got to watch fairly closely here I, is what I'm suggesting. Now, um, you know, we have kind of a, an imperfect uh, oversold equity market right now. And I, I think, you know, uh, a lot of stocks jump back up, but it was a, with lesser stocks. So the advanced decline line didn't really make a big move. It actually went sideways. Uh, you'd like to see new highs with a lot of stocks, not a few stocks. So, uh, you know, look, I, I think if I was looking at the S&P 500, a 10% correction would be down to about 3,020, 2,027, somewhere around there. On a weekly basis, if it, it was a little bit more than that, uh, I'd be like 2,700, uh, but large cap growth just came roaring back. So that value growth trade has not happened and it's, it's still not happening. And it's, it's a pretty drastic scenario. Now the 10 year note yields, uh, you know, broke down and we talked about that, uh, but they're very oversold on a, on an RSI basis. So it'd be interesting to see what happens there. And the dollar keeps rallying. And I, I think it's going to continue to rally, you know, if it gets over 98, 99, uh, you know, you want to get, I mean, we had a big move this week, okay, big move. We're at 99, so if it gets over 100, uh, you know, me talking about lower 
dollars might be the wrong thing to do. Uh, crude oil got absolutely creamed, and it seemed to have moved directly uh, opposite uh, of what uh, Tesla did. You know, Tesla had a big move up, and oil went to, you know went down about the same time. Uh, matter of fact, you put the two charts together, you can see the divergence is huge. So uh, I think that's a that can be a, a you know a scenario where uh, you know we talked about these ECG portfolios, and uh, they're they're catching hold. And the other thing I told you is the fixed income side of it is, is a problem. So. Um, you know, if oil companies have to start to pay a percentage point or two percentage points more for their bonds, I think you're going to see a real problem in the oil patch. But uh, look, growth stocks remain attractive, and the weakness in the cyclicals is a tactical opportunity, I think. Uh, so you want to be looking at some cyclicals out there, you know, not just to have everything in the high growth stocks. Um, by the way, healthcare is the most improved sector. I'm going to talk about that in the next uh, the sci- uh, next scenario. Um you know, utilities are overbought really short term, so people keep asking me about those. Uh, they've made a big move. You know, you want to wait till they come back or they go sideways for a while. Uh, financials, similar to the cyclicals, I think have been correcting through most of January. So the January move has been limited. Hey, stay tuned. We'll be right back with a bullish percent. This is Smart Investor Show. Okay, we're back. If you just tuned in, uh, my name is Tim Hayes. Once again, if you'd like to have a cup of coffee or you want to talk about your portfolio, uh, sit down and, uh, you know, I, I keep talking about wealth plans. And, you know, if you fail to plan, that's when you get scared. If you have a plan and things, things start to happen to start to develop, you can always change the plan if you need to. But if the plan is secure and it's, it's in sound thinking, uh, usually you just have to change your portfolio around a little bit. The plan, keep the plan going. Uh, anyway, um, if you'd like to sit down and talk, uh, go to WHK fourteen twenty local podcast. Down to Tim Hayes goes directly to my web page. Uh, make it easy for you. Uh, if you get me out of the office, I'd be very very happy. In the meantime, uh, we we constantly talk about the bullish percent on the show, and the bullish percent was desert, designed as a. Uh, a risk indicator. And uh, what they wanted to do was be bullish at the bottom and bearish at the top. And uh, they have a chart that goes from zero to a hundred. When you get over 70, that's when everything's hot and everybody's talking about the market. That's when you should be careful. When it gets below 30, that's when the market is, is slowly but surely being, you know, drowned out. No one wants to talk about it. They get the pr- <laughs> Guys on CNBC are taking, you know, uh, pills for depression. Okay, that type of thing. And um, then there's there's a couple other things. You got if you're in a column of X's, you have the offensive team on the field. That's when the stocks are moving up. When you go into a column of O's, you want to be a little bit more careful. Now, we also have a couple other things we look at, like what is the best asset class right now? It's domestic equities and has been for some time now. Uh, And so when they were the lowest form of life. Uh, they were the last in the class was in 2007, 2008. So risk has different, uh, is, is perceived differently at different times. Uh, from what I'm, what I'm trying to say is if equities were domestic equities were in last place, I'd be raising a holler right now. Okay. Uh, but since they're in first place, now's the time you want to take a look at your laggards and maybe raise some cash a little bit here. Um, but we'll see. Anyway, all the major bullish percents remain unchanged from last week ratings, and they're still in the column of O's. So remember, they got up to 63. I said it's a pretty high number, or 64, I guess it was. That's a pretty high number. And uh, now we need 64 to reverse it. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, we, were, we were up a 0.01 last week, so uh, point, I'm sorry, 0.1. Uh, which isn't much uh, for the domestic equities or, or uh, the big equities and the smaller ones. We were up 0.9%. Uh, world equities were up 2.2, but they're still uh, five percentage points from turning around. So you're still, the defense is still in the field in the international sector. The European developed, uh, which had been, you know, down in the dumps has moved up uh, two or three spots. Uh, Europe emerging Europe is number one and uh, Europe development is number two. 
uh, Africa and the Mideast and Latin America are, the, are dead last. So uh, there we go. I did notice uh, our friends at First Trust, who, who always do a good job with uh, the Alphadex portfolios. It's a cash flow-oriented portfolio. Um, they have quite a few Eurozone uh, Alphadex funds that look really, really good. Um, have broken their downtrend line and started to, to pick up. So uh, that there'll be a few of those that I'll be looking at in the near future. Um, but domestic equities have displayed a long-term relative strength against international equities. That's for sure. Uh, I mean, no matter how you look at it, uh, developed and emerging equities, you know, are not even close. We're, we're talking about, uh, you know, 147 on the votes, vote tally to 65 for developed and 54 for emerging markets. So it hasn't been a good sign. Now, one thing I'll, I will say is that the all the domestic uh, indexes uh, have, you know, the weekly momentum has been negative with the exception of the XLG, which is the large cap stocks, and the uh, QQQs, which is the, you know, the Apples, the Microsofts of the world. So the rest of them have had negative momentum between three and six weeks. Now, the uh, the only thing that's shown worse is the uh, EFAE, which is the Morgan Stanley Corporate Index, is the bigger names out there, and they've been negative for 12 weeks. So, look, you know, we, we mentioned the Dow Jones. Uh, you know, we thought the Dow Jones was getting ready to make a big move back in October, broke a quintuple top, and then broke a double top. So, uh, the Dow Jones looks great, uh, you know, but it is 110% overbought currently. Uh, and I also noticed there's been 13 stocks that have made 92% of that move, where the other 17 stocks in the Dow Jones have not participated. Isn't that interesting? So uh, now the other thing I noticed is, uh, you know, we always talk about sectors. Remember, we're looking for the favored sector. If you buy the five best sectors, you'll outperform the market uh, usually, okay? And it's a lot easier than market timing, by the way, too. So last week we had 14 positive sectors. We have 12 now. So uh, we're going to go for the most overbought, and we're only talking about favored sectors here, okay? But the most overbought is electric utilities at 80%. I said, you know, they, they made a big move. Semiconductors and business products are at 65%. I'd still wait on those probably. Healthcare, software, building products, and uh, real estate are at 60%. I'm seeing a lot of real estate. I mean, I think they're poised to, to do pretty well. Uh, the building materials people, too, are doing are looking really good. Uh, I got lots of names there, too. And financials and, and computers are at 50%. That's a pretty good place to buy stuff. Drugs and, and uh, electrical products are at 46 So that's another good place. And at 40 is biotechnology. Uh, which is usually a great, you know, anything that breaks over 30 is probably a pretty good place to be buying things. Um, I noticed that uh, media and telephone went into bull confirmed, but they're not favored sectors. And one of the favored sectors, semiconductors, is in what I call bear alert strategy. That means you got to be a little bit more careful with them, obviously. Um, electric utilities went the most favored status, uh, so that's that's a tough one. Financials, uh, which had been unfavored, has moved to favored. Uh, a few that were favored moved down. That was leisure, retail, and forest and paper products. Oil service, food, protection services, and textiles are now unfavored. Um, and then I looked in international equities, and it was, it was kind of surprised because uh, you wouldn't think it this way. But the most improved scores, uh, China was one of them. You know, you thought maybe with the coronavirus it would be a problem, but, um, you know, so in the last seven days, you know, we're not talking about months or anything like that, but so there, I, I think there are two areas in particular that have aided uh, much of the recent group in, uh, performance in China, and that's healthcare and technology. Now, we talked about healthcare last week, and once again, it broke a double top, so it's broken its second double, uh, third double top, I'm sorry, and uh, so that's kind of interesting. I, I've got three or four of those ETFs that look really good. I got one that I really like. But the technology side uh, was kind of surprising. Um, you know, we didn't talk about that last week or the week before. Uh, but the there's a, there's a couple of different ETFs out there that look uh, extremely good in, in the technology fund and in, uh, in China. So now uh, the 10-year yield, uh, 
it looks like it's making a little bit of a base and wants to go up a little bit higher. Uh, came very close to hitting a new low, uh, which would have been 136 at 150. And um, it didn't. On the bond side, you know, we've talked about convertible bonds, uh, and it's still the number one asset class. Um, so I've, I've got wonderful ways to participate there uh, with some people who know what they're doing, trust me. And then uh, commodities, uh, we came very close to hitting a new low going back to 1972, I think, or, or 70. I can't remember which one it was. But crude oil has been negative for five weeks. Uh, most of the continuous commodity index has been down for a while. Even gold turned over and went negative last week. Uh, copper has seen four straight weeks of negative uh, movement, uh, momentum, and, and same with corn. And then I looked at some of the foreign currency charts, and, and uh, the foreign currency index broke to a, da- a double bottom and hit a new low this week. So uh, foreign currencies are not the place to be, I guess. And then we talk about relative strength. And you know, relative strength is just a measure of how a stock is performing when compared to something else. In this case, it's the S&P 500 equal weight index. And so what they do is they take the stock's closing price and they divide it uh, by the equal weighted index. And then they get a decimal point and they plot it on a point and figure chart. So the relative strength stocks, I mean, stocks going to a relative strength buy are usually ones you want to pay attention to. Uh, Excellus Technologies, which is in semiconductors, that looks really good uh, on my charts anyway. I don't know what the uh, the fundamentals are. Green Hill Financial Services, that's not a recommendation, by the way. Uh, D- D- DQ New Energy, which is in chemicals. Nuance Communications, which is in AI. Uh, Jinko Solar Holding Company. Uh, Puma Biotechnology, Walker & Dunlap. Century Communities. Invite, uh, Mastercraft Boat Holdings, Kinsdale Capital Group, and Arcos Biosciences. And you may recall there was some big buyers in Arcos Biosciences last week. Um, on the sell side, Ramp, which is Liver Ramp Holdings, Hess Corporation, which is in the uh, oil and gas area, uh, Amtech Systems, which is in semiconductors, Cardiovascular Systems and Medical Products, Snap-on. Uh, that's finally, boy, that was a huge winner for a long time. Nano Vericides, which is uh, uh, one of those companies that has been bouncing around a lot because uh, they do make uh, vaccines for certain things. Land's End and uh, Equitrans Midstream Oil Company uh, got beat up pretty bad last week. Um, now, I did notice a couple things, and that is um, I saw two groups that demonstrated big time strength over the past few months. And it's been healthcare and biotechnology. Uh, they have moved from, you know, uh, on the Dorsey Wright system, who, by the way, is our, they bring us the bullish percent. They're keepers of the bullish percent. On their score systems, they are at 1.5%. They're now in the fours, which is very positive move. Uh, so needless to say, healthcare and, and biotech are now, uh, are, they're not, well, they're not new to rapid price developments. Let's put it that way. Biotech has had an average risk rating of about 1.6%, which is pretty high up there. And healthcare is about one5 But uh, still, with the rapid improvement of both groups is a significant accomplishment, and especially when focusing on the group score direction. So biotech possesses the highest score direction of any of the 135 groups out there, with healthcare placing third. So uh, obviously, uh, you know, they don't think Bernie Sanders is going to get in. Uh, so... <laughs> But I, I got a couple ETFs there, and I've got a lot of stocks in those areas that look great. Um, and I did notice another thing, and that is microcaps. A lot of the microcaps are starting, not the small caps, the microcaps are starting to break out. So that's something that I think you want to be paying uh, particular attention to over the course of the next uh, year or so, because that may be a good place to hide and make money. Stay tuned. This is Smart Investor Show. Okay, we're back, and um, this is where we talk about insiders, and then we'll talk a little bit about Tim seeing in the market. Uh, you know, look, insiders uh, are smarter than us because they they see the information as it comes. They know what's going to happen ahead of time. They and you know, usually when they buy, look, you sell for a lot of reasons. You buy for one. It's that simple. And when they start buying in a big quantities, you should pay attention. 
And I look, I don't look at the, the guys that buy a thousand shares or two thousand shares unless it's a two hundred dollar stock. I'm looking for multiple buys or big buys because that tells me, you know, it's put up or shut up time. Okay, so just remember, insiders are early. All right, very very early, and we're looking for big names. Okay, so Immunogen. Uh, this is an old Baker Brothers uh, uh, company, but they don't own it anymore. But we had the uh, senior vice president of technical operations buy 220,000 shares and five others buy between 50 and 120. Uh, U-Haul, we had the chairman and president after the stock dropped from 420 down to 340, buy a million dollars worth of stock. And GL Energy Partners, we had the CEO buy $498,000 worth, I'm sorry, $494,000 worth and $483 worth. And then Unify, you may, may recall we had several insider buyers there, one of them being Ken Langone. He's the guy that started Home Depot. He's a very bright man. Uh, he, Ken, bought another 261000 and another 274000 taking his total to almost $2.5 million. Uh, and then we had... Uh, Kazar, pharmacy, or Kazar Life, uh, we had the Biotechnology Value Fund LP buy a million shares, uh, and that's about a five dollar stock. It's about a five million dollar thing. Uh, Spectrum Bands, the CEO. Uh, you know, this is a stock that was uh, around seventy bucks and now is around fifty nine. The CEO made two purchases. He bought nine hundred ninety nine thousand dollars worth, and then three days later bought four hundred eighty nine thousand dollars worth. Uh, so you like to? I love to see when CEOs and CFOs buy. That's that's important to me. And then this is one that uh, these biotechs I talked to you about that went up, you know, went straight up. This was a ten dollars stock that went to forty three. Uh, they did a secondary at twenty eight, and so they've they've been weak a little bit. But BB Biotech AG. Now these guys have a nasty habit of being in takeovers. Okay, the company is intercellular. They got a. Uh, FDA approval for a antidepressant drug, uh, and uh, it, it has some. I, I understand they've done some work with drug addicts, you know, because that's one of the problems. It's not only a physical addiction, but also a mental addiction. So one to pay attention to. I know our analyst likes that stock. If you'd like a report, uh, I'm not saying to buy it. You know, I'm not saying I like it. Uh, it's up a lot. You know, you don't want to chase things. But uh, if you want a report, please let me know. Uh, Cullen Frost Bankers, uh, here's a stock that was 105, is now 93, and two directors. One bought 473000 the other bought 483000 And then NGM Bio uh, Pharmaceuticals, this was a, a $22 stock, now 15 and two directors. Each One bought 754000 the other bought 716000 uh, which is not chump change. Um, and then LaJolia Farm, uh, here we had... Uh, Morgan, a Morningside Venture Investment Limited, then uh, uh, buy uh, about 3.8 million shares. Um, I'm sorry, that was uh, Kazar Life Sciences. So there was two two buyers of Kazar. Uh, LaJolia, we had Abigail Johnson of Strategic Advisors. Now, if you don't know who Abigail Johnson is, there's a small company called Fidelity that she runs. Uh, so they bought about 4.6% of the company. Uh, that's La Jolla. I'm sorry, I said La Jolla. La Jolla Pharmaceuticals. Uh, I'll get that right eventually. Um, also, uh, Biotech Target NV bought some of that intercellular too, by the way, another 3.4 million shares. So quite a few people. Now, here's one that surprised me. The CEO and chairman uh, of Exxon bought $171,000. It's the first insider buy I've seen in Exxon in probably three or four years. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, by the way, um, in the last month being on the show, almost 40% of the insiders have been in biotech firms or oil firms. Okay. Also, Avis uh, Budget Group, uh, at a new high, a, we had a director buy $14.99 million. That is definitely not chump change. And then uh, Kellogg, we had the... Uh, Chairman, president, and CF, CEO buy $1 million worth after the stock was at 72, got beat up to 60. Uh, I think he bought it at 64. And uh, also, Stewart Information Systems 
We had the CEO buy 818000 and two days later he bought 235000 I think I only got a couple more. There's a lot of insider buys. I'll leave it with an insider sell, too, by the way. Uh, Cairo Farm Therapeutics, uh, we had the um, uh, chief regulatory and quality officer buy 60,000 shares. Seven others averaged about 120,000 sh- uh, shares each. It was basically the entire executive suite. That's Cairo Farm Therapeutics. We have a report on that one, too. And then um, Slack Technologies, otherwise uh, the symbols work. Stuart Butterfield, who's the chairman, uh, reported a passive stake of 19.3%. That's a big number. Believe me, uh, that was a new issue that got killed and looks like it's rebounded a little bit. And Ashland Global Holdings, the CEO, bought a million dollars worth. And Mr. Duncan from Energy Products, uh, Enterprise Products, I'm sorry, which is in the energy products area, but uh, $1.385 million. You remember he bought uh, about $5, 6000000 million for the stock last week. And then he bought another $1.368 million. Uh, that was on the 6th and the 7th. And then on the 11th, he bought another $1.25 million. And then uh, just a small sale here. Jeff Bezos sold $4.1 billion sale of Amazon last week. Uh, he sold 2 million shares. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, it's probably just a portion of his portfolio too. All right, so the bullish percents in a column of O's were still on defense. So remember, you want to take a defensive posture, you raise some cash, hold the strong relative strength sectors or the favored sectors, the weak sectors you want to be, you know, being careful with. Hold a leader, a relative strength leader, sell a laggard. Okay, um, I would also. I'll say this again. I think you should polish up on your gold stocks. I mean, I had three, four gold stocks hit new highs Friday. Um, uh, And then, well, let's put it this way. I think it's going to get real interesting because the liquidity is out there. And, uh, you know, I think people, you know, some people are are going into um, Bitcoin. And unfortunately with Bitcoin, the problem is you're, you're you're in there with drug dealers and uh, you know the skin trade and all that stuff. So uh, I think gold's getting going to shine a little bit here. Sorry, couldn't couldn't help it. But and the, the other thing I want to emphasize, I've been saying this for a month now. Apple and Microsoft are now almost nine percent. Now they're eight point six percent of the S and P five hundred. All right, the bottom hundred stocks are only three. All right, so there we go. So, look, uh, crude oil uh, also, uh, you know, we talked about our best crude oil ideas, and I put a, kind of put a kibosh on that for a while, uh, just because we went from, we, we broke a double top. I mean, we, I'm sorry, we had a double top. And uh, we got to kind of hold the $50 area. If we don't, I think uh, you'd probably be able to buy uh, some of your uh, oil stocks a little bit cheaper. Uh, so that was my bad but, you know, when we first started talking about them, they were pretty cheap. Uh, by the way, there's a lot of small short-term double bottoms in a lot of the oil stocks, especially the smaller ones. So it'll be interesting to see if they hold. Uh, you know, one of the things I noticed with gold stocks is that they held even when the bullion went down. So they were so cheap that they just held, okay? Now, uh, the S&P 500 is still extended. Uh, the QQQs... And the XLGs, which are the large stocks, uh, are I think the QQQ is like 115% overbought, and the XLGs are 105% overbought. And this is on Dorsey Wright's system, just so you know. So, um, look, I, I think the first stop in the Dow Jones might be somewhere around 2700, 2720, you know, somewhere around there. And then uh, we'd like to see it hold uh, the 25, 2600 area, um, 2550, I'm sorry. 25,500 and 26,000. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if it does. But the large cap stocks are definitely dominating uh, the world here. Now, I looked at dynamic asset level investing, which our friends from Dorsey Wright provide us with, and technology and industrials and financials are the top three groups. Consumer cyclicals are closing the gap with financials pretty quickly, and healthcare is right behind them. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how they hold up. All right. Um, now, a couple other things I want to talk about is 
I, I was looking at real estate and, uh, you know, the, the real estate sector is starting to look kind of interesting. Uh, they, they built a pretty strong foundation uh, going sideways and they have broken out. They broke a triple top uh, just recently. So that real estate sector, you know, I'm talking mostly about real estate investment trusts are probably a good place to be. And by the way, you know, that's a, there's a lot of those on the prime income list just so you know. So if you're interested, uh, give us a call. So what would I be doing now? Well, look, I think things are overbought a lot here, especially the large stocks. But the micro caps uh, being, you know, there's a lot of money flowing into these micro caps. And I, I don't, I'm not exactly sure, you know, what they're thinking about. But it's an area uh, that is for traders only, unless you know what you're doing, okay? Or unless you have somebody that knows what you're doing. So the micro caps are looking good. Uh, small caps and mid caps have been has some uh, you know momentum that's fading a little bit. But look, I think there's some things I, I would certainly look at credit access lines at this point. You know, the savvy investors credit workbook is a good idea. Our global income best ideas. Uh, there's a lot of stocks out there that have nice dividends. And then our 2020 investment stance, I think, is is an important document that some people should should grab. In the meantime. Uh, you know, dividend growth portfolios and prime income lists, like I said, prime income list has a lot of real estate in it. All right. A lot of real estate investment trusts. So those are things that you should probably be taking a look at. Um, also, some of the ADRs are getting cheap and uh, maybe that's, you know, you want to I think you want to, you know, pick a few of those at a time, not buy the whole portfolio, if you will. In the meantime, um, I think that, uh, you know, we're, we're still in this corrective phase and uh, although you're not seeing it in the index. I think you will. Uh, you know, what you, what you'll probably end up seeing is different sectors get whacked. Uh, we'll see if the whole index pulls back or not. But uh, there's quite a few overbought stocks. In the meantime, have a great weekend. This is the Smart Investor Show. Buy low, sell high. Thanks for listening to the Smart Investor Hour. To reach Tim during the week, call him toll free, 888-223-7742. That's 888-223-7742. 7742 or visit his website rbcwmfa.com slash tim hayes that's all one word in the address bar rbcwfma.com slash tim hayes please join us again next saturday for the smart investor hour to hear more smart investing from tim hayes of rbc wealth management